spirit of the living God, spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice, we're hanging on every word, spirit of the living God, spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more, we're hanging on every everyone. Good morning. We're glad to hear both in person and online. Thank you for joining us for worship at Fusion this morning. Hear these words from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Please stand and worship with us.
Shouts and sings the greatness of our King. Glory 
God, we're so thankful that you are a God that we can worship forever, that you are a God that is present, that you are a God that loves us. And God, I'm thankful for each and every person that's here, God, that you brought us here for a purpose, and may your word just ring through this church, and may you touch each person that's here. Amen. God's people say together, amen. You may be seated. Fusion family, uh, extended family and friends of the pet family, uh, we got a table here with some water, and so you know what's coming. It is one of the, the true gifts uh, of gathering as God's people, uh, the joy of claiming God's covenant promises and baptism, and this morning we get to do that uh, for Josie Joy Pet. Hey, Josie, how are you? Yeah, there she is. What a cutie. And um, in baptism this morning, we are, we're going to mark Josie as God's daughter. We're going to welcome her into the family of God. And it's a special day of celebration for Kyle and for Haley, for their family. Um, and a powerful reminder for each of us uh, of God's grace that makes us his own. And uh, today's made a little extra special uh, because Josie's uncle, Pastor Chad Dieger, who happens to also be a classmate of mine, so it's kind of fun and, and exciting. Uh, but Pastor Chad is going to be uh, doing the baptism over uh, his little niece, and so it's extra special in that way. This morning, Kyle and Haley will make promises to Josie, and uh, as their church family, we'll also be making promises to Josie and to the family. But the most incredible thing happening this morning, uh, beyond those, is, is, is that God in his scandalous, extravagant grace, God is making promises uh, to this little one this morning as well. God's word testifies of God's faithfulness and his covenant promises extended to his people. God establishes a covenant with Abraham and his, dis his descendants uh, and gave them a sign of that covenant and circumcision which was given to male infants at eight days old. In Jesus Christ, a new covenant was established and it opened a way for all to be received into the family of God. And so baptism is that new sign and that new seal of God's promises to his new covenant people, Christ's church. And so we offer the gift of baptism to children as well as adults because we know God's love for us precedes our love for him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the scriptures say. And so Josie does not understand how much uh, she is loved, right? She doesn't fully understand how much Kyle and Haley, you love her, uh, but that does not change the truth. It does not change the reality of how much you love her and how, how uh, the truth and the, the, the matter of fact that she is your daughter, and in a similar way, even though she doesn't understand it fully yet, Josie becomes part of God's family, not based on her ability to love, but on the Father's love for her. And this, we just gotta pause because this imagery of baptism and God's covenantal extravagant love and grace poured out to us is, is such a powerful picture, particularly when we baptize a little one in faith. And so it's my pleasure to invite Kyle, Haley, uh, Maddie, and Kinsley, Kaysen, Josie, and Uncle Chad up forward uh, as they make, well, Chad's not making the promises. He's, he's just coming up with the family. 
But Kyle and Haley, because God has given you the responsibility. You know what, before we even do that, do you guys wanna, do you guys wanna put your hand in the water quick? You wanna try? Feel it. There you go. All right. And I, and I just have you do that because do you know that one, when you were little, the same thing happened. And we put water on your forehead because you are a child of God. That's pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And so Kyle and Haley, uh, because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Josie, I ask you to make the following commitments. Uh, please answer after all the questions are asked, we do God helping us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ? Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And do you, in reliance on the Holy Spirit and with the help of the Christian community, do you promise to do all in your power to instruct Josie in her Christian faith and to lead her by your example to be Christ's disciple? Kyle and Haley, what is your response? All right. And now Fusion family, we have the joy and the privilege uh, to stand alongside Kyle and Haley and their commitment to Josie and so congregation of Jesus Christ. Will you please stand and answer these, this question uh, in unison when I'm finished, we do God helping us. Fusion family, do you promise to receive Josie in love, to pray for her, to help instruct her in the faith and to encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers, people of God. How do you respond? We do. God helping us. All right. And now I get to turn it over to Uncle Chad, uh, the better looking of the pastors up here. Why did I say that? I don't know. It's a special gift to be with you today. Thanks for your hospitality and a bit of a reminder of how the community of faith works. All of us are surrounded not just by a church family, but a biological and invitational extended family and God over all of us. And so it's a joy to celebrate with you. And we use the words that you've been using as a church for a very long time. Uh, they come from the French Reformed Church liturgy about what it means to baptize a child. And so here in this, also God's invitation to you. Josie, for you little one, Jesus Christ came into the world and he fought. For you, he has suffered. For you, he entered the darkness of Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, it's finished. For you, he died and rose again and ascends to heaven and intercedes for you, little one, even though you don't know all of it yet. We promise to continue to tell you the story until it is your very own. And thus the gospel is fulfilled, that we love because Christ first loved us. And so Josie, Joy, Pet, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Child of the covenant in baptism, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Jesus Christ's very own. And so I celebrate with you this child is a visible membership of the Holy Catholic Church is encouraged to confess his faith with her whole life and we will be there cheering her along every step of the way. 
why don't we praise God by offering a little cheer right now for what God has done. We can't go. You may be seated. We have some things for you. And look at this, I got three items. You want to hang out of that, bud? You want to hang out of the, the book, Kinsley? And there you go, Maddie. These are some, some things to help you remember uh, this promise that God made to you and to your sister. And so, um, Maddie, you're, you're a reader, right? I know you're a big-time reader. Maybe you can read that book to her. And in that, uh, when, when, the, when it's time for her to make profession of faith is the French Reformed liturgy in there. And so that is a confirmation of God's promises as we continue to pray and uh, nurture the faith of little Josie. Pretty cool, huh? You guys can have a seat. And uh, at this time, let's, let's go to our God in prayer. Lord, this morning, the words of the psalmist come to mind. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Lord, our hearts are full because of what we just witnessed here this morning. Lord, being able to witness your grace, your love poured out upon your covenant daughter, little Josie. Lord, we thank you and we, we praise you for the gift of your love. We thank you and praise you for the gift of this small child, for the gift of life. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in Josie's life. We pray, God, for Kyle and for Haley, for her brother and sisters. Lord, we pray for extended family that love her and nurture her. And God, we pray that you would be in this work of your spirit's work in her life to create fertile soil for faith to grow and to develop. Lord, for each of us, you've, we've made promises here this morning uh, to be part of that work. And so, Lord, as we walk beside the, the pet family, God, we pray that your spirit would work. And we look forward to that day, Lord Jesus, when Josie will stand up here and declare and profess her faith and her love for Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd be in that work and be working through all of that and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for how your word reminds us that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The psalmist goes on to say that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God, we thank you for your compassion, your abounding love and faithfulness. Lord, as we pray and we thank you for, for Josie, Lord, it's a reminder to each of us that, Lord, your love is stronger. Your love precedes and, and goes beyond our ability to love and to believe and to hold on to you, Lord. The reality and the truth is that, God, you hold on to us by your power and by your grace, and we thank you for that gift in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray right now for this community for the Hardawike community, for fusion, Lord, for those who need to experience your tender care right now. We pray, God, for Ruth as she continues to recover from a surgery uh, this weekend. Lord, we pray for relief of pain. 
We continue, Lord, to lift up Sean as she continues treatments, and God, that you would restore strength and energy and restore health. Lord, across the broader campus, we continue, Lord, to boldly pray for Brianna. God, we pray for life. We pray for recovery. We pray, Lord, for your gracious and miraculous hand to work. Lord, as we pray for these, we pray for many others, Lord, that you place on our hearts, Lord, who are, who are going through a variety of circumstances and seasons. God, we pray for those who continue to grieve the loss of someone they love dearly. Lord, the sting of that loss continues, and we pray, God, for your, your healing touch and your presence to be evident in their lives. Lord, for others who are going through things that, that we're not aware of, God, you are, and we pray that you administer in ways that those need this ministry. God, we pray also, not just for our community here, but for the broader Lakeshore community for Holland and West Michigan. God, we pray that you'd continue to work in us and through us and beyond us to provide for the needs of this community. We thank you for the ministries of this church that, that meet our neighbors in their time of need. We thank you for ministries like Neighbors Plus and Kids Hope and um, the after-school programs. God, we thank you for the ministry of, of the members here who, Lord, this call that we have, not just to be um, Christians in the faith that we proclaim, but, Lord, in the lives that we lead. Lord, remind us how we can be good news in the communities you've called us to live, in the workplaces you've called us to serve, in our families and beyond. We pray too, Lord, for our nation. God, as there continues to be uh, unrest and divides, Lord, as uh, a pandemic continues to rage on in our country and in this world, God, we pray for healing. We pray for restoration. We pray for peace and we pray for hope. Lord, we're also mindful this morning of, of the global church. Lord, that there are those around the world that, that worship, but they worship with courage because there is this threat of persecution. Lord, we pray for different countries around the world that are facing that persecution right now. And Lord, as we lift up all of these concerns before you, we're reminded, Lord, that you are God most high, that you are the Lord of heaven and of earth and you hold this world in the palm of your hands, that you are at work in all of these things. So we pray for your power, we pray for your grace, we pray for your love and we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in our world, in our community and in our churches and in the relationships in each of those spheres. Come Lord Jesus, we pray. In the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all these things and God's people say together, amen. I'd invite the children to be dismissed. Follow April out that door and uh, you can head to Sunday school and uh, children's worship. And now Darwin has an announcement. announcement just because we closed the books last week and we want to make sure that everybody understands um, where we are 
And I bring this announcement with a really deep sense of gratitude. Um, deep sense of gratitude for us as a community, thankful for everybody's um, contributions that allowed us to end the year very well. We started um, last January, January 1st, 2021, which sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, we started with roughly um, $227,000 in the bank, and that carried us through this year um, very well. Um, we ended this year on December 31st um, with 398000 and change in the bank. So a little bit of an increase, um, which is exciting um, given the year that we had with COVID and everything else. Um, as council has reviewed these numbers, um, we're super excited because we're beginning to ask, what do we as a community need to engage in to be faithful stewards of this, these resources in order to reach everyone um, with the gospel so that everyone can join in the journey of being um, found in, formed in, and following Christ. So we're really excited about that, and I'm going to ask you to do one thing in just a minute. The other piece of news is that the um, facilities expansion project, which we completed um, a couple years ago, um, the outstanding debt on that is down to 185600 and council is committed to paying that off by May of this year. So we'll be wrapping that up. So we're super excited. But you know what? This is our ministry. JB and I and others serve here because you have called us to serve you. And so as we listen to these numbers, they, they seem big. They seem abstract from everyday reality. But they're what fund this ministry and they're what make all this possible. And so what I'd like you to do very simply is this. I'd like you to turn to the people around you and just say thank you. Thank you for your ongoing financial support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the ways that you invest in our ministry that allow all this to happen. So just stand and say thank you to each other. God, for uh, God's good work among us and through us and in us. God is good. I'm going to say, uh, there, by the way, I'm just looking out the beautiful windows there, and there's something about snowfall in Michigan when the sun is shining. Uh, God is good, and uh, it's a reminder. I, I got to just say again, uh, there is something about just witnessing the grace and love of God's promises being offered over a little one in baptism that, that just doesn't get old. Amen? <laughs> Amen. It is a, is a beautiful thing. And a perfect picture, actually, to carry us back into our current sermon series. Uh, the sermon series we've been in is we've been calling Scandal of Grace. Uh, it's been a journey through the parables, at least some of the parables of Jesus. And, and again, we've been remembering uh, these parables were a way of helping the people of God wrestle with the upside down, backwards, and sometimes confusing nature of the kingdom of God. A kingdom that, that challenges so many assumptions and paradigms uh, that many held back in the day, but also paradigms that we continue to hold that Jesus uh, needs to challenge and kind of turn upside down. This morning, we, 
I keep bumping into this thing, so I'm just going to move that before I knock it over completely. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at Matthew 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 23. Uh, It is the parable of the sower this morning. The parable of the sower has been referred to as um, the meta-parable, and by that meaning it is the parable of the parables, like Jesus' parable that explains what he's trying to do with the parables. Uh, And this parable also in Matthew 13 opens up a whole chapter in Matthew's gospel that contains a little over half a dozen or so parables on the kingdom of God. And so the nice thing, uh, it, it is an important parable, but the nice thing about the parable of the sower is it is, the, is one of the few parables that Jesus actually explains its meaning. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. Uh, This morning, we're going to read both the parable and Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. But what you'll notice is we're going to be skipping some verses. Uh, because between Jesus' telling of the parable of the sower and his explanation, uh, there is this kind of interesting exchange between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, his disciples asked Jesus after this parable, why do, you, why do you speak to the people in parables? And this is how he responds. He, he quotes Isaiah 6, which is the commissioning of Isaiah, and he says some things like this, the people will be ever hearing but never understanding. They will be seeing, but never perceiving. And then he goes on to say to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Now that's a little confusing. What do you mean, Jesus? You're, you're telling parables to confuse people? Like, and this is kind of what we got at just briefly week one of this series, um, that the parables confuse, they're intended to kind of baffle and and turn over assumptions, uh, particularly for those who cannot and have not accepted the kingdom of God. These are baffling and confusing parables, but for those who who receive and and accept Jesus and understand are are willing to receive this upside-down kingdom, it begins to make things more clear. Hence this kind of contrast between those who are not understanding and those who are. Here's a quote on there, and I think this is really helpful because uh, one, of the, one of the authors that we've been reading, uh, Robert Capon, uh, shares that, let me just read. The following two startling statements, this is how he explains it, the difference between prescriptive and descriptive. The first is, for him who has, more will be given, and for him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's kind of a confounding statement. He says it this way, this seems to me to be one of those hard sayings of Jesus that cries out, not for a prescriptive interpretation, Jesus saying this is what's going to happen, but for a descriptive one. Jesus, though he could be taken uh, as issuing a statement about what God will do to reward or punish those who hear the parables, seems to be more reasonably understood as giving a simple description of the way things are. Does that distinction make sense? Prescriptive, like this is what's going to happen. Descriptive, this is how things are. Those who don't want to receive, that he's just explained, those who don't want to receive the kingdom are going to be more confused by the parables. Those who are open to it will be able to hear and understand. I find that to be helpful. Uh, and I didn't want to just skip over that passage without giving some explanation. There's some more quotes in the email that went out this week. But now let's get into the parable of the sower. Sound good? 
The parable of the sower, consider this parable. We're going to look at Jesus' explanation, and then we're going to consider the implication and impact in our lives today. Matthew 13, we'll be beginning at verse 1. If you're willing and if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9 and then jumping to 18 through 23. Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. That's the Sea of Galilee. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Now, tradition has identified this cove as the Sower's Cove, a little bit of uh, church archaeology. Verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now Jesus' disciples ask him this question and so uh, what's understood is that this explanation is actually given to just Jesus' disciples, not the whole crowd that is gathered. Jumping ahead to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means, Jesus says. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this seed. God, we pray that you would plant that seed in the soil of our hearts. The spirit, by your power, cause it to grow. And as your spirit grows that seed, that gospel good news, Lord, may it make an impact not only in our lives, but Lord, in the lives of those that we know and interact with. Come spirit, do this work, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people say, amen, amen. The truth is our our vision statement uses this language of journey. See everyone joining in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus. And the truth is, we're all on a journey. Amen? 
a journey with ups and downs and things that we're proud of, things that we're a little embarrassed by. Uh, and with that kind of in mind, uh, a little snapshot of my journey. There you go. The picture on the left is not Ron Burgundy. That is me and one of my finest hours at Hope College. Little, little side, that's the first picture Yvonne ever saw of me. True story, on MySpace. You remember MySpace? Yeah. And she vowed at that moment she would never date me, but hey, here we are. So the middle picture is also from college, and the other, the other picture there is while well, I was a youth pastor and one who loved kind of rock music, and I had some earrings in there and some spiky hair. I was thinking about my life as a, as a high school student, and I was one who, who was passionate about Jesus, uh, and I was passionate about punk rock. Um, let me clarify, uh, ska, Christian ska. Anyone, do you remember ska music? Okay, we're all aging. Any ska fans? No one's willing to admit that. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. I, you played in a ska band, Brandon? That's amazing. So then you can do this like dance like this. Anyone? No? So my favorite band was Five Iron Frenzy back in high school. My brother was into to hip-hop and rap, and because of that, he, he uh, invested some money and had two 12-inch subwoofers installed in the back trunk of our 1985 Chrysler Fifth Avenue, this glorious large car. Uh, and so, you know, he, most people who have giant speakers are, are rolling through the streets, and there's some big beats going... No, when I was driving that car, it was Five Iron Frenzy, the kind of the chippy like ska bees, like doom, 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 rolling through the, the city of uh, Brown Deer. But I, 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 loved, I loved Christian ska music. I was a leader in the youth group. I was passionate for the Lord. And, and I had my ups and downs. And uh, I went to college with Kyle. He could probably share some stories. Anyway, we're not going to go into that. But, right, we had ups and downs, and it was a journey. But here I am, you know, one who, who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, um, one who, who recognizes my, my shortcomings, recognizes that I'm, I'm a sinner desperately in need of, of grace. And as I reflect on, on this journey that I took up and down and all around, um, there's others who are on a, uh, on a journey and they're in a different spot. And friends that I know and people that I grew up with who, who want nothing to do with Jesus. There's those that I know that that had a faith and, and grew up in the faith, but have since decided that they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Nothing to do with the church. And not only that, but, but I've, I've sat down with, with, with parents who, who feel that contrast in a pretty deep way. How do we explain that, that some who are raised in the faith or some who hear the gospel good news maybe later in life respond with passion and this faith grows within their hearts and, and others who, who experience that but then later maybe walk away or decide they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ? How do we make sense of different responses to this what we call good news of the gospel? And what we have in the parable of the sower is Jesus gives us a word picture that helps us explore and begin to understand something about the variety of responses in the gospel. This morning what I want to do is just walk through what Jesus says and then consider the implication and impact in our lives. 
which is as varied as, the mem- as, as many people are listening here this morning. And as we think about that, here's, here's an important thing. We, we want to consider those things, not in judgment, but we want to consider those differences with compassion, seeking understanding. Well, let's dive into the uh, parable. Uh, we're going to be talking about interpretation this coming week at our small group discussion on Wednesday, talking about what is the meaning, what is the significance, how do we identify meaning out of the parables. First thing we need to do is we need to identify the main characters or symbols in the parable. And so just a brief word on the main symbols in this parable. The first one is the sower. A farmer went out to sow his seed. This is kind of the summary of the parable. As he was scattering seeds, some fell. Later on, some fell. Later on, some other seed fell. Later on, still other seed fell. There is this farmer who is out sowing seed. First, quick word about the farmer. Uh, in the NIV, it's translated farmer, but literally the word is sower. And as tempting as it is uh, to make the parable about us, Remember week one, we shared a quote, if we're, ma- if, if we're making ourselves the hero of the parable, we're probably doing it wrong, okay? Uh, yeah, we're maybe tempted to, but we're probably not the farmer here in this parable. Other parables have, has, have imagery where there's workers in the field and that's human agents, but, but in this parable, Jesus' intent, we're pretty sure, certain, is that God is the farmer. Right? God is the farmer in this parable. God is the sower. God is the one who is planting seeds of the gospel throughout the world and in the hearts of humanity. The farmer. Let's look at the second image, the seed. Second, a quick word on the seed. In Jesus' explanation, he tells us plainly in his explanation in verse uh, 19 that the seed is the message about the kingdom. Later on, this is short in shortened version, the word. Now for us, when we think of the message of the kingdom, the word, our hearts go to Jesus Christ, right? And that is true. For us, another way of putting this would be the message of the kingdom would be the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So think of the seed as the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the seed that God is planting in the hearts of those around. Finally, let's look at the soil. Again, a word on the soil. In the parable, Jesus explains, the soil is the heart, verse 19. And not as the physical organ, but in the ancient understanding, the heart was the center of our will, our understanding, our passion. The heart is the soil. And now notice what all of this tells us. The sower is God, the seed is the gospel, the soil as the human heart. Notice something what's happening in this parable. That God is active and involved in his kingdom work. That's what this parable tells us. That God is not passive. He is not a passive bystander, but he's one who is sowing the message of the kingdom, the word, the gospel in the hearts of humankind. Notice something else about this farmer, this sower. This farmer is scattering seed everywhere. Do you notice that? Indiscriminately scattering seed over all kinds of different soil, the hearts of humankind. He's sowing seed on every kind of soil you can imagine. Now this becomes so familiar for us, but just think about that. As a farmer, this is, this is really a reckless, a scandalous, an extravagant, uh, and, and if, if you have some of this kind of dad gene in you, it's wasteful, right? 
for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm paying utilities. And, I, and I, that commercial where you're becoming your dad, okay, in all the best ways, like, all right, your shower's done, right? Quit wasting hot water, you know, shut the door. I'm, I'm not trying to heat the neighborhood, right, okay? This, this farmer seems to be just wasting seed. No, 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 like, good farmer would, like, throw seed on, on M6, right? no. You find good soil if you're a farmer, but this image is just, is extravagant. It's reckless. It's scandalous. In Jesus' parable, God is, is not sowing seed only in the soil where he knows it will take over but, and produce a hundred times the fruit, but he's liberally and lavishly sowing seed all over. And I don't know about you, but I hear this and it pushes against something in my own heart. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one who doesn't want to, I don't want to waste my time. As harsh as that sounds. I don't want to waste my time on, on people who, who are not going to respond or who are going to continue to fail over and over. And I borrow other sayings in scripture about dusting the, the, the dust off my own feet and moving on. I only want to invest my time. I only want to invest my energy in what I perceive to be worthwhile endeavors looking out for what I perceive to be good soil. And yet here we have this parable where God is just liberally sowing seed across all different kinds of soils. It says something about the powerful and often patient love and grace of God that challenges me to the core. That's just a side note. That's just a side note. Again, this t speaks of the scandal of grace that we've been talking about in this series, but there's more to explore here. So let's look at the four soils because Jesus spends the majority of his time explaining these soils. And so what I want to do is listen to what Jesus says about them and then consider what they look like in our own context. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. Consider them with compassion. Compassion for yourself, compassion for others. This is a descriptive of the way things are. Four soils. For many of us, this, this parable has become so familiar that our minds immediately make the connection between the soils and Jesus' explanation. But again, the original audience is only given this original parable. Their only clue in this is verse 9, where Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. So imagine this original audience, this crowd, like, what is Jesus talking about? But then Jesus pulls his disciples aside and shares this explanation of the four soils. And we, uh, you know, Matthew includes it in his account of Jesus' life. And so we have that benefit. The first thing Jesus says is that some of the seed, first soil, some of the seed fell along the path. Think of this as hard-packed, well-traveled soil, soil that has been walked on for, for years and years. It is packed hard. And Jesus says that birds came and, and snatched up the seed that was on the path. And Jesus goes on to explain that, that this, is, this is the one who hears the word but does not understand. And, and the enemy comes and snatches that seed up. The imagery here suggests that the heart is hardened, right? Hard soil. A little benefit of working together in a pastoral team. Uh, pastor Aaron came up with this alliteration. We love alliterations as pastors, so you'll notice the trampled heart, the troubled heart. Anyway, just got to give credit there. But hard soil, the trampled heart. Hardened soil, 
heart and heart. This is a common imagery in scripture. It's the one who is not receptive to the gospel. Their heart has become hardened, trampled on by pain, or closed off for some other reason. When a heart is hardened, the seed of the gospel is easy for the devil to snatch away and never take root. In Jesus' context, we could imagine this would be the hearts of the Pharisees or religious leaders who who just could not accept the message of the kingdom that Jesus brought because the message challenged too radically the paradigms that they held so close. They were resistant to Jesus' radical message of the gospel and how God was at work in their world. Jesus' context. For a moment, let's just step into our context. What would we imagine hardened soil to look like? In our context, you might picture the skeptic. You might picture the cynic. Maybe one who would say, I'm, I'm a human secularist, you know. A person who just cannot bring themselves to believe in a higher power. That just seems incomprehensible. Or the person who cannot reconcile this belief in a benevolent, good God And how do I reconcile that with the brokenness that I experience in my life? It seems to contradict. It doesn't make sense. But this imagery might represent other instances as well. A person whose heart has been hardened over time. Maybe the pain of life in a broken world or, or damage done by, by a church filled with broken sinners has hardened a person to, person's heart. Or it might be someone who has entered into uh, kind of this common practice, this word that's, that's ca- gotten a lot of press, deconstruction, right? So they're entering into this process of, of deconstruction where they're deconstructing different aspects of their faith. But so often that work, which has potential to produce fruit if we're deconstructing those things that are bad and building on what is good, but so often that simply becomes a practice of destroying because there's little guidance or intent in reconstructing any kind of faith or worldview, particularly in Jesus Christ. And so what ends up happening is we end up tearing down previous paradigms without considering what remains, if anything remains. And now the heart becomes hardened. I try to give a vast array of examples, and here's the question for us. Where do, you, where do you see hardened soil in your life? Where do you see things or experiences that are, that are starting to harden parts of your heart? Again, not with judgment, not to heap on guilt or shame, but with compassion to recognize hard soil, a trampled heart. Second, Jesus says that some seed fell along rocky soil. Now, if you've ever been to Palestine or Israel, you'll know that, that the soil there, there's a lot of rocks. Rocks are everywhere in Israel. And so this is a common imagery. But in, in Israel, there's this rocky soil and, and the soil is shallow. And so uh, little sprouts of grass will shoot up real quickly just because of the dew, right? Jesus says the plant sprang up quickly, but the sun quickly scorched the plant because it had no root. Jesus goes on to explain this is the one who receives the word initially with joy, but once trouble comes and persecution because of the word, 
they quickly fall away. Rocky soil or a troubled heart. Rocky soil, shallow soil, where where seeds of the gospel quickly sprout but do not last as soon as trouble comes. It's the troubled heart. In the Gospels, we can, we can look at people who had a hard time fully committing to Jesus, people like, like Nicodemus who, who want to believe, but are they and that are kind of in between? Or how about this one? Example from the Gospels. What about the Apostle Peter? Apostle Peter, who you read the accounts of Peter, and he's one of the most fiery of all the disciples, like, Walk on water? I'm in. You know, he's jumping out of the boat. He's, he's ready to go. But what happens on the Passion Week? The moment the pressure gets turned up, the moment some people start questioning about him and Jesus' relationship, what does he do? He denies Jesus. The pressure gets turned up and he, he turns his back on Jesus. Again, I use Peter as an example because I think it's important for us to view these soils with a certain sense of compassion and understanding. In our modern context, you might, you might picture a young person, right? A young person who, who's overcome by the energy and the passion of maybe a youth camp or a mission trip or a winter retreat or summer service week, right? You're in this environment where there's all these other kids and they're all passionate about Jesus and they're cheering you on in your faith and it's, and it's easy to believe, right? And, and so you, you're excited and you want to believe and you give your life to Jesus and that's true and it's real and, and I'm not diminishing that at all. But what happens if that passion is not rooted in a deeper discipleship, an ongoing community? If we don't have those roots, it's easy to be scorched by the heat and resistance that will inevitably come our way. There's less stereotypical examples as well, right? Consider those moments when you're at work and a coworker, or maybe you're in, in class and a professor or a stranger at a dinner party begins asking difficult questions or, or starts saying certain things about being a Christian and, and by nature it's kind of like, oh yeah, and you kind of shrink back. When oftentimes those questions are, are, are having to do with the mysterious nature of faith in God in a broken world. Or how about this one? unexplainable tragedy strikes. The kind of tragedy that shakes our foundation and our core, shakes our understanding about God's order to life. It rattles us. It shakes us. The reality is, is trouble is hard on the human heart. It just is. Don't feel guilty about that. It's just a reality. Trouble and persecution is hard on the human heart, just as drought is hard on physical plants in a garden, right? And only the plants that have deep roots connected to a water source survive a drought. So again, let's, let's turn the question into ourselves. Where, where, do we, where do you see rocky soil in your life? Where do you see a, a lack of, of a root system? Or where do you see those roots kind of expanding and, and going into places that are not the, tr- the water of life, right? I tell you, I got a wake-up call. 
having roots in the wrong things can be kind of rattling. This is kind of, maybe it's embarrassing to admit, but I'm a Packer fan, okay? Did you watch that game last night? My roots and my well-being are in the wrong things. Like, should I lose an hour of sleep or more because my Packers lost? Every year, God wakes me up with that one. You'd think I'd learn by now. The disappointment is heartbreaking. Right, Taminga clan? Okay. I know there's some other... Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm struggling here. Third soil. Jesus says, Some seed fell among thorns which grew and choked the plants. And Jesus explains, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of life and the empty promises of wealth make the word unfruitful. Did you notice that the plant remains? It just doesn't produce any fruit. This is the thorny soil or the tangled heart. Here's another image Jesus will use elsewhere, but right here referring to something specific, right? In fact, next week we're going to look at the parable of, of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. But here Jesus is referring to something specific and he, he goes on to explain and name what he is talking about with these thorns. This is the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Worry and wealth. Unmet desires and expectations. Source of worry and the hope to find fulfillment in the things of this world. The prime example in the Gospels for us, if we were looking at the Gospels, would be the rich young ruler, right? He says, what, should I, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commands. He says, oh, all those I've done, which is kind of a bold thing to say. Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And we're told that the man walked away sad because he was one who had a lot, right? I don't know about you, but, but this one, this soil, this, this hits our modern culture right between our money-hungry eyes. Just think about this. Our, our entire economic system is based on the premise and expectation that the best way to motivate the human heart is through the promise of personal and financial gain. Now, whether that's bad or good, it's maybe the best that we got, you know. But just recognize that. Recognize that this is the, this is the air we breathe. This is the current of our culture and time. And so because of that, we, we can overlook it, but we can spend all of our time, friends, obsessing about our bank balance, our market portfolio, or, or different investments and how they're performing. And we can become so obsessed with those things that we could, we could miss the ministry opportunities that God has placed right before us. We could become so consumed with, with saving and working hard enough to save enough, not just for us, but for the future of our kids and grandkids. And, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But if we're so consumed by that, we can miss opportunities that God has laid right before us. And friends, this is a struggle that's not, that, that's not just a struggle for those who have much. But this can also be a, be a struggle for those who have little. 
Because in our lack, we can, just be, we can just be choked out by the paralyzed worry and desire for more. And when we start comparing, and oh man, our culture is filled with comparison, we can start comparing our lives to others and it can bitter our hearts, leading toward contempt toward our neighbor and choking out any potential to love and fruitfulness. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. <sighs> And again, we have to ask the question, where do you see, where do you see this thorny soil in your life? Where, where do you see worry? And again, with compassion, friends, we're approaching two years in the midst of a global ec- a pandemic that is just totally uprooted. Our whole, I mean, it's just, If you're feeling worry, you're not alone. We are all feeling worry and some level of anxiety. So again, don't heap guilt and shame upon this, but just recognize where is worry overcoming my heart? Where is this looking for the world to provide what only God can provide tangling and choking out my heart? Finally, Jesus says some seed fell among the good soil where it produced a fruitful crop. He explains this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Nothing about intelligence, nothing about virtue, nothing about ability, just that he hears the word and understands and in hearing leads to fruitfulness. This is the good soil. Good soil, simply an open heart. The Greek word here for understand in verse 23 literally means to put it all together to bring it together, which means to understand. It, 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 to me, it brings about the thought that the gospel and the heart coming together, the gospel sinking within and becoming part of us, a part that informs and forms us both inwardly and outwardly. In some ways, the good soil is simply the soil that doesn't have all of those previous hindrances that we just mentioned. It's not the hard path. It doesn't have rocks. It doesn't have thorns. The heart that's simply open to allow the gospel of the kingdom to take root, of which there are many imperfect examples in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And so the question for us is, what does good soil look like in our modern context? There is no typical example. There is no example. That's a surprise. Because here's the reality. There's no good soil there's no one who, who is just good soil. Like I can just become good soil and that's the goal, to become good soil. No, because each and every one of us is a person on a journey. A person constantly in need of our good God, the farmer, to till, to remove rocks and weeds from our hearts. The moment we think that we have arrived and we are good soil is the same moment we need the farmer to do some work in our hearts. Any gardeners out there? I remember the first year I, I attempted gardening and I had this massive plat, plot at the church parsonage where we lived. I mean, I, don't, it, I mean, it was massive, like, couple, I don't know, 100 feet by 50 feet or something. And I'm like, I'm going to plant all kinds of stuff. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to have food all summer. It's amazing. What I, what I didn't realize is you get the soil all ready and what happens in a week? Weeds. What happens after you pull those weeds? More weeds. 
It's an ongoing work to work the soil. If you've ever gardened or farmed, you have to constantly be working the soil. And here's the thing. The scriptures are filled with imagery of God doing that hard and difficult work in the lives of his people. A couple examples, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 4. The prophet says, I will sing for the one. I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up. He cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. Jeremiah borrows the same imagery. This is what the Lord says, the people of Judah to Jerusalem, break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among the thorns. God is doing this work. And if this is any indicator, Oftentimes that work is hard and it can be painful, but it's good and it leads to good soil. God is the farmer who ultimately is the only one who can bring about good soil in our hearts and here is how he does it. If anyone's been reading the book uh, Scandalous Stories, this is how the author puts it on page 35. Sorensen writes this, so then what? The only way we can become good soil is if God, by his amazing grace, makes us good soil who can hear and understand his word. Here's the good news for us. God is in the business of opening up ears and making people good soil fit for his kingdom. So what does it mean for you and me as we close? Here's a simple word for us. Submit. Submit to the work of the farmer, the sower in your heart. My heart was, was drawn to Psalm 139. One of my favorite of all the Psalms is this beautiful Psalm of, of how God knows us, is involved in our lives, and then it ends with this prayer. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Know that soil. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This prayer is powerful. God, search me. Know my heart. God, reveal those anxieties and lies that live within my heart. God, remove those rocks that prevent deeper roots of intimacy. God, loosen that soil. Loosen those areas that have hardened and trampled me in this life. Lord, make me receptive to your gospel. Lead me in the ways that lead to life both now and forevermore. What a powerful prayer. Friends, the word for us this morning is allow God to reveal the hardness Allow God to reveal the rocks and the thorns, the shallow roots, so that we can participate and cooperate with God's good work of healing and transformation. It is a work he wants to do in our lives. Our God is gracious and welcoming. Our God is powerful in that work. work that, and this work is not intended to happen in a silo, but in the gracious context of Christian community. As I was thinking about this text in the context of baptism this morning, those same promises that we made this morning to Josie are promises that we continue to fulfill into adulthood. That's the promise we make for each other to walk with one another on this journey as God does that work in the soil of our hearts. We can't do this alone. We need God to do that work and we need one another to help foster his work in our lives. Let's pray together that God would do that work to bring about his fruitfulness. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for these parables that invite us in to explore and to look, not just at the context and what you were saying back then, but Lord, to look at what your word and what your spirit might be saying and speaking into our lives as well. Lord, as we were reminded this morning, you are compassionate, you are gracious, you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, Lord, as, as, as we pray this prayer of searching, search my heart and know me, we pray, we pray to a God who is gracious and loving, who invites us to himself. And so, God, we pray and we ask that you would reveal, and in revealing, in grace, Lord, that you would begin that new work in our lives so that we would be receptive to your word this morning. And so that, Lord Jesus, you would produce a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. We pray all these things in faith and in the gracious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Jesus 
baptismal waters just as much as Kyle and Haley love Josie just as much as we know our God loves this little one that's how God feels about you and so this week as you go to God to listen and to ask be my vision search my heart know me see if there's anxious ways see if there's things going on that Lord are keeping me from experiencing your goodness in my life Know that he loves you and he wants what is best for you. As you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Let's enjoy some donuts together.